Welcome to You Can Read the Bible's brief lesson about Hosea. My name is Matt Carter. Hosea is a love story. Hosea is not, however, a fairy tale love story. There is no prince or princess, but there is a happily ever after. Hosea is a story about true love that is filled with betrayal, desperation, and uncommon grace. The main theme of Hosea is a familiar one in the Old Testament. Israel has rebelled against the Lord, and severe consequences will follow. The Lord's faithful love, however, is more powerful than Israel's sin. The Lord's ultimate purpose is to heal and to save. While the theme of sin, judgment, and salvation should be a familiar one, the way that Hosea weaves his personal life story into this national narrative of Israel is absolutely unique. So Hosea takes place in the northern kingdom of Israel. In Hosea, the northern kingdom is often referred to as Ephraim. That's after the name of the largest tribe in the northern kingdom. And Hosea's roughly 40-year ministry stretched from about 755 BC to about 710 BC, which would make him a younger contemporary of a fellow northern kingdom prophet, Amos, as well as the southern kingdom prophets, Isaiah and Micah. His ministry began during the reign of King Jeroboam II, and it continued over the reign of the last six kings of the northern kingdom of Israel. You can read more about these kings in 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 through 29, that's about Jeroboam II, chapter 15, verses 8 through 31, and that's the the next five kings, and then chapter 17, about King Hosea. The key takeaway about these kings, though, is that none of them were considered to be a good and faithful king. So when Hosea began his ministry, the northern kingdom was at its peak politically and economically, though not spiritually. By the end of his ministry, Assyria to the north had crushed the northern kingdom. So Hosea's literary structure is a collection of uh, Hosea's preaching and, and biography. It's primarily a book of poetry. There are two main sections to the book. The first section, from the first three chapters of Hosea, is the very personal story of Hosea and his wife Gomer. It moves from their wedding to adultery and to a resolution in restoration. The second section the whole rest of the book, really mirrors the first, and it moves from covenant to idolatry, and then it resolves in covenant renewal. Throughout Hosea is a key implied question, and that is, why does it end in restoration? Well, the answer is given in chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, and really the answer is God's love, compassion, and faithfulness. Chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Well, the Hebrew word in verse 19 there for steadfast love in English is the Hebrew hesed, which means even more than than steadfast love or, or loving kindness. We really lack a good word for this in English because hesed involves an unending commitment to faithfulness and devoted love. Hesed gets at a disposition and a way of living that many of us these days might even struggle to imagine or may even judge to be naively foolish. 
Well, let's talk about Hosea and his marriage. In uh, right away, in, in chapter one, verse two, comes one of the most bizarre verses in the whole of the Bible. When the Lord spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, "Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord." Wow. What a command by God to Hosea. And just let that sink in for a moment. What a command. Wow. Remarkably, Hosea obeys the Lord. Hosea marries Gomer, and they have three children together. As an adulterer, Gomer sleeps with other men, and chapter 2 is filled with poems about adultery, prostitution, and idolatry. In the course of her whoredom, Gomer needs to be ransomed from her lovers, who turn pimps, for a sum of money. In chapter 3, Hosea ransoms Gomer for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. He restores her to himself, saying to be faithful to me as I am to you. And just reflect on that story for a moment. What did Homer do to Hosea? And really this would have been known in, by their whole community. How would Homer, I'm sorry, how would Hosea have felt? How would her children have felt? What did Gomer do to win back her husband? What could she have done? Was there any way that Gomer could have earned her way back to Hosea? Gomer's restoration to Hosea depended completely on Hosea's gracious forgiveness. How grateful do you think Gomer was to Hosea for saving her? In the most graphic, real-world terms imaginable, the story of Hosea and Gomer is a retelling of the story of the Lord and his people. So, the rest of the book fleshes out this story of marriage, infidelity, and restoration between the Lord and Israel. Chapters 4 through 10 are a poem about the causes and effects of Israel's adulterous idolatry. It begins in chapter 4 1 with the charge against Israel that it has rejected the knowledge of God in the land. Now, the Hebrew word for knowledge here is yada. The ancient Hebrew sense of knowing someone, yada, is a much more personal and intimate knowledge than we typically mean when we say that we know someone. For instance, in Genesis 4.1, Adam knew Eve, his wife, who then conceived and bore their son Cain. In Genesis 18.19, the Lord says that he knows Abraham, meaning that he has a very close relationship with Abraham. For this knowledge, it's not enough to know about someone. Like, I might mean if I, I said, I know that Abraham Lincoln was alive during the Civil War, or that I know that Paul McCartney was a member of the Beatles. This is like asking someone if they really know Paul McCartney. Having met Sir Paul would not be enough here. To honestly answer that they really do know Paul McCartney, that person would need to have an actual relationship with him. So this yada knowledge is an experiential knowledge because it is a relational knowledge. Now think of how important relationships in your own life have affected you, even possibly transformed you. Relationships like a marriage or within a family often have this power. And whether good or bad, these relationships and our experience of these relationships have the power to transform us. Now, this experiential and relational knowledge of God is what Israel has rejected. Of course, Israel knows all about God, and they believe he exists and rules over them. They regularly make public sacrifices to him. They are not atheists in rejecting knowledge of God. 
No, they are adulterers fleeing the deep, intimate, and relational knowledge of a spouse so that they can pursue other desires. And this is why Israel is charged with hypocrisy. They publicly sacrifice to God, pretending that all is well with their relationship to Him, but that public profession is all pretend. They do not follow the law. There is rampant social injustice. They keep the high places and altars to Baal and at Bethel and Gilgal. They trust in politics and military power for their safety and security, forging political alliances like all of the other nations around them. They have rejected their relationship with the Lord as his holy people. Therefore, Assyria will soon come crashing down on them. The next section, chapters 12 and 13, are really a history lesson about Israel feeding on the wind. A person can't, of course, feed on the wind. It's not even sensible, which really is the point. Israel's desires are so misguided that those desires are akin to trying to satisfy your hunger by feeding on the wind. Life was not designed to work that way, and it will never work that way. Nevertheless, Israel persists. So, Hosea provides three case studies from Israel's earlier history, beginning right away with Jacob, whose new name became Israel, and his lying and treachery back in Genesis chapters 27 and 28. The second example is from Numbers, chapters 12 through 20, when Israel rebelled against the Lord in the wilderness. They were nourished by God, and their clothes never wore out, yet they wanted to go back to Egypt. And the third and final example is from 1 Samuel chapters 12 and 15, when Israel wanted to be like all of the other nations and have a king. And so they chose the faithless Saul as their king. So these three examples span the beginning of the nation of Israel from its inception with its namesake Jacob through their inaugural king Saul. In each example, Israel walks away from the Lord who truly nourishes them to try and feast on the wind. It never works out. They lack real yada, knowledge of God, and of his hesed to them. Nevertheless, the Lord loves Israel. Israel's sin is worthy of destruction and damnation. Israel, I'm sorry, Assyria will come to conquer Israel. Judgment is real and necessary, as it always is with adultery. There are real consequences and effects to cheating and being unfaithful. Nevertheless, the Lord loves Israel and will restore her to himself. In chapter 11, the Lord is portrayed as a loving father who raised a son who came on eventually to betray him. In 11 verses 3 and 4, the Lord is pictured as a doting father teaching his son to walk and leading him with love. The Lord's heart is broken subsequently and turned over like plowed soil when his son betrays him to follow after other desires. In chapter 14, Israel is to be miraculously healed of its selfish heart. A Messiah will come to restore Israel, restoring God's people. They will become the broad shade tree of blessing to the nations that they were always meant to be. This shade tree will bear fruit from the Lord, like perhaps love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So in conclusion, Hosea is a book among the minor prophets but it is minor only in terms of its length. Its message is cosmic and eternal. Sin is rebellion and adultery, and there are real and significant consequences to it. Nevertheless, 
The Lord is faithful and loving. His loving kindness is greater than our sin. While Hosea and Israel did not yet witness Jesus from Bethlehem, they were certainly given the Lord's message and promise of salvation and hope. Thank you.